Blog Talk Radio. of Cinnamon Noir, and this is Kimberly Renee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Rebecca and Candace. Happy Sunday, ladies. Hey, everyone. All right, we have a jam-packed show for you. Um, In addition to our film and casting news, we're going to do a little trailer talk about the um, trailer for season two of Empire that dropped this week. Also, at 6.30, we're going to be joined by Tashina Arnold. We are super excited to chat it up with her about her show, Survivor's Remorse. And we're also going to be talking about um, some casting news for the show The Flash. Uh, Wally West, a character that people love, was um, casted, and there was a little bit of controversy, so we're going to be talking about that. But to get us started with our film and casting news, um, Uzo Aduba, Queen Latifah, Amber Riley, and Mary J. Blige was all announced this week that they will be in the NBC live version of The Wiz. And, you know, I have to admit, this is one of those things that I was a little bit leery of in the beginning when I heard about it. I mean, I didn't watch the live version of The Sound of Music, but people were slamming it on Twitter. Um, So I was kind of like, why are we doing this? But as more people from the cast are announced, I'm getting a little bit excited about it. So um, what do you all think about it? (laughs) Um, I, I... Myself particularly, I mean, I have the same reservations that you have. I mean, I didn't see the previous, I I believe there have been two of these now, two live production things like this on NBC. And um, from, yeah, from what I gather, it was everyone was hate watching. They weren't really enjoying it. They were just enjoying tweeting about it, which I, I, I'm still kind of hazy on how that all works. (laughs) But um, I, I love the cast. Um, I don't have any kind of connection with Amber Riley because I, I I think she's from Glee, right? And I've never seen an episode mm-hmm. of Glee, um, so I don't I don't really have any opinion on her. Uh, Mary J. Blige, I've seen her acting. Um, mm. I am concerned, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, Uzo and Queen Latifah I think are great. Um, I have issues with turning this into. Um, this type of a production, this type of medium. I just, I never really thought that it translated very well or that it would translate very well, not just the whiz, but every time they do this. And I just don't want it to be something that becomes hate-watched on Twitter and then people start going back to, oh, well, maybe the original movie wasn't so good. It's just like it all kind of spirals. So I don't know. I'd be interested to see what will become of the legacy, if you will, of Blizz after this, but I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's my kind of neutral, non-committal <laughs> approach to this casting news. Alright, All right. Rebecca, what do you think? Um, well, I, I think like you guys, I think when it was first announced, we were a little skeptical. I mean, I think I saw the one 
uh, the Sound of Music one, the first live um, musical that NBC did, and I, I really wasn't um, impressed with it. And then the Peter Pan one um, with Allison Williams, the, girl, uh, the actress from Girls, I didn't really like that one either. <laughs> um, but I think I think with The Wiz, at, at least as far as the casting to me, it really feels like they're taking this project seriously. Um, you know, I, I, I especially like the fact that they really committed, because, I mean, a lot of us on Twitter were doing a lot of wish casting on who we would like to see in the roles. And I admit that I was really petitioning for Janelle Monet to play Dorothy. Um, you know, and then NBC um, announced that they were going to do, like, a nationwide search for Dorothy. They wanted a fresh face. And I think that they actually had the right idea. Um, they revealed the the actress on Thursday. Her name is Shanice Williams. She's 18 years old. Um, I think she, yeah, she just graduated from high school, um, and she's like a theater, you know, nerd. Um, she's a triple that. I think she's saying acts and dances. And she is just the most adorable thing ever. I love her. And everybody was like, she looks like a younger version of Octavia Spencer. And I was like, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. And I, I just saw a brief interview with her from today. And she's just so bubbly and just very pleasant. And I saw her, I think the audition reel, if you do a search, you can find it. She has a really beautiful voice. Um, so I'm really glad that they're doing that because we're always saying we don't have enough um, black actresses like under the age of 30, you know, or between the ages of 20 and 40. So I'm really glad that they're nurturing that. Um, the casting with Uza Adoba and Amber Riley is fantastic. Aduba, I, I, a lot of people were like, oh, why did they cast Uzo? She can sing. <laughs> she can do opera. She's actually a classically trained, you know, actress. So I really like that they're going for people that have a theater background as opposed to just doing stunt casting, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Like you, Candace, I'm not um, particularly fond of the Mary J. Blige casting because if you're playing the evil wit, like the Wicked, wet, wet, uh, the wicked Witch of the East, like you really got to bring it. And I don't know that, I don't know. I, I've just never really been impressed with Mary J. Blige's acting. So it'll be it'll it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. But um, other than that, I'm pretty happy with the casting. Oh, and David Allen Greer has also been cast as the Cowardly oh, Lion, which I think is great. That's He's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's, that's brilliant. brilliant. So so I guess who's the only one? Um, Stephanie Mills is playing Auntie M. So I guess the only roles left are Scarecrow and uh, the Tin Man, right? So um, I'm still I'm still petitioning for Erica Badu for Scarecrow. I don't know why, but there's just something like she's just so quirky and just so weird that I think mm-hmm. that she could actually be like a really cool Scarecrow. But I'm sure they'll do a good job. Yeah, yeah, they're you know, and I really like as far as the um, that they uh, gender bended the role of the Wiz with Queen Latifah. I thought that was fantastic because you know I think we've mm-hmm. said that too that they don't necessarily have to stick to a particular gender, um, mm-hmm. you know, for some of the roles. So I, I'm glad that they kept an open mind for that as well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and she's on a roll, Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. it be interesting to see how it translates to the live on stage thing because. You know, like you said, you can have a great cast, and we've all seen things where the cast is just perfect. It just doesn't translate. Mm-hmm. So it'll be quick mm-hmm. to see how it all plays out. So I'm looking forward to it, though, so we'll yeah. see. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to our next bit of news. Um, there has been a call to uh, boycott the film Stonewall. Uh, again, this is a film that's based on the Stonewall riots, which are, you know, kind of said have 
kind of kick off the modern day gay rights movement. Um, you know, people say, our historians say a lot of African Americans and people of mm-hmm. color were a part of this movement, but when you see the trailer to the movie, it doesn't actually reflect that at all. Um, I know someone said they were looking at IMDb. And, um, you know, Marsha T. Johnson, who was actually said that thrown the first uh, stone to start off the riot, she's listed like 83 or 80, something like that, on the list on IMDb. So it's not mm-hmm. known how big her actual role is in the movie, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, very significant. And so people are calling for us to boycott this film. Um, did you all see the trailer? What did you think? What are your thoughts about it? Um, <laughs> I saw the trailer, and I... I guess I wasn't really surprised with the approach of this because, um, you know, the thing is Stonewall is a, is a factual historical event, right? But the movie is through the point of view. The point of view is going to be through a fictional young white man who moves from the Midwest and, you know, moves to the village and kind of we're going to see, you know, history um, unfold from his point of view. You know what I mean? So I really wasn't surprised that that, that's the route that they took. Um, I mean, I think Stonewall is an important part of our history, especially with um, the passing of, you know, uh, gay marriage equality um, bill that they're trying to push through um, in this country. So I think it is important to have that movie. That being said, um, I think this is a fight that we've had as far as um, any type of movie or a television show, or even documentaries, to an, a certain event, uh, to a certain extent, that when we talk about LGBT rights, it's still very whitewashed. Um, it's still from a very mainstream point of view, and I personally kind of feel like that is it's it's harmful for us because what it does is it sort of reinforces the stereotype that you know, there's the idea right now that black people are the most homophobic, right? Like out of all the demographics, black people hate gays the most, black people hate transgender people the most, and I just don't think that that's true. I don't think black people are any more homophobic than the average white person or a Latino person or Asian person, you know what I mean? Like depending on the culture that you go through, and not everybody is that way, but it just seems that particularly um, with Prop 8, that whole thing that happened with Prop 8, you know, Dan Savage, who is one, who is a very vocal LGBT activist, you know, basically blamed it on us. He was like, see, black people, that's why, you know, Prop 8 happened, because you guys didn't vote for it. And it was like, yeah, but black people are only 10% of the voting population in California. You know what I mean? So even if every black person voted for Prop 8, it still wouldn't have had a majority vote. So it still needed votes of white and Latino voters, but again, this is the way that black people are marginalized, you know? And so I just feel that um, as far as Stonewall, it's really still only telling part of the story, and I think we know for ourselves that there were trans activists, trans women activists, there were lesbians, there were women of color that were, um, you know, there at Stonewall, and I think what was especially disturbing was that once the um, controversy started, and I'm sure Roland Emmerich, who's on Twitter, and the studio kind of saw the backlash, they've been going on like this damage control (laughs) campaign, Um, and I saw an interview which uh, was uh, HuffPost Live, it was with Josh Zepps, um, who's a journalist, he, you know, uh, kind of covers LGBT rights, and on the show, on the HuffPost segment, he had 
um, one of the people who were actually there at the Stonewall, um, who was there at Stonewall. And he basically said that, you know what, white people did it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, there were some people of color there. But he was like, white men were the majority. I don't really understand why people are upset. There's no whitewashing because we're just showing you how it is. Um, and what was especially troubling about that interview was that when they, uh, when uh, Josh Zepp asked the activist, um, you know, there was another woman, uh, her name is Dr. Irene Monroe, and she was there at, um, she was there at Stonewall, and she wrote a, um, a really excellent essay just basically telling her side of the story, saying how women of color and lesbians and trans women were there too. And he basically, like, dismissed her. He was like, oh, well, at least she got the date right. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like, well, you don't listen to her account. Listen to me. And I was just like, see, this is why the community, the LGBTQ community is so divided that you as a white man could have the audacity to go on national television, whether it's online, and basically marginalize and erase this woman's experiences. Like, why should I believe you over her? You know what I mean? And so I just thought that was just very disrespectful of him, and I thought that it was kind of very slanted journalism because I felt that, Josh Zepp, who was running, who was moderating this uh, segment, he should have at least reached out to Dr. Monroe and let her tell her side of the story. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to have this guy sitting on the couch telling his account, then you should have reached out to her and some other trans activists or women of color who were there at Stonewall who could have told their, their side of the story. You know, so it's, it's, it's this continual silencing, and I, I'm just very disturbed by that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to go on a rant, but it, it just really upset me. It just really, really upset me how he was just so arrogant to basically say that his account is the, defin is the um, definitive account and any women of color who say otherwise or any trans women who say otherwise don't believe them. That's just very insulting to me. I, I, just, I can't support a movie who, that, that, that supports that. It's just not – it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. It's really crazy. Um, Candace, mm -hmm. would you? Yeah, no, I was just listening to Rebecca. I did not see that that interview at all. Um, I actually, I'll tweet it out to you guys. I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll tweet it out to us, and we're watch so I can tweet it out to our followers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> when I first saw the trailer, one, I didn't even realize that they were even doing this. Maybe I missed all the announcements of this actually happening. But there aren't mm -hmm. really any big names in it, although I did recognize um, he played Angelique on um, Penny Dreadful. Uh, Johnny yeah, oh, Johnny Bokep. Bokep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, okay. I yeah. totally butchered his name. So, so thank cute. you. No, no, I think you have the right one. I think you have the right one. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, and so I was, honestly, I was really excited to see him. I was just like, oh, my goodness, I, I didn't know that he was leaving to do something else. Well, I didn't know what the trajectory of his career will be after Penny, Penny Dreadful. Um, but um, so that was really my main opinion about it. And then, um, it, and, and, I, and I thought it was particularly interesting, and I say this often, I think that many stories, particularly like this one, that are, quote-unquote, fictionalized but are based on actual events should be um, in, in a, you know, presented in a documentary form. And I think this mm -hmm. is one of those stories that probably should have been. Um, I'm not to, not to say that it couldn't have been a great narrative. I just think that this particular story that people are still not very aware of um, mm -hmm. would be told best 
in a documentary form, or at least as an as, as an option. And maybe I haven't even looked. Maybe there probably was many others, but I think that this story could definitely be revisited in light of all the things that are happening politically in our society. And I think that would also be a good time to, I'm, I'm completely giving somebody an idea for a documentary right now. That would be a good time to talk to somebody and um, talk to or interview a variety of voices that yes. can speak about their experiences with Stonewall. And mm-hmm. everything that I have really encountered or um, really kind of come across in terms of research about Stonewall has really been very white male. And anything, or not anything, but many things uh, in terms of the small screen and the big screen have really come from that white male point of view. There, We're starting mm. to see more white women point of view and not particularly about um, more gay rights, not specifically tied toward uh, Stonewall, but we're starting to see a little bit more of that. But there is still, you know, the perception that, and this is with any kind of sub- subject, white male is more universal, white male is more um, quote-unquote realistic and um, more accessible and just safer. And it's just all of those things are very, you know, if you put all those things and present it to somebody, that is extremely problematic to even say. But that is the thought. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think particularly with um, watching the Stonewall trailer, I got that from it. Or You know, it it seems so incredibly basic. I, I was expecting that. You know, once I read the synopsis and then watched the trailer, I was like, this is exactly what it sounds like. Um, And so it almost, not to say I was desensitized, but I was definitely not, I didn't have this guttural reaction because I, it just seemed very Hollywood to do it this way. I was, I was actually also concerned about the fact that Roland, Roland Emmerich was behind it. Um, just because I, just because I have, you know, I love, and I think he did uh, Independence Day. It just from his his repertoire of films, it seems like such a departure for him. Um, so uh, that's my two cents. Yeah, yeah. Well, from what I understand, I know Roland Emmerich is gay, um, which I, okay. I learned when I was watching the interview. And uh, what was especially okay. interesting to me was. Yeah, what was especially interesting to me was during that HuffPost segment, the guy who's the the guy that they interviewed on the couch, he his basic his actual defense of the fact that um Stonewall was not whitewashed or there's not, you know, racist elements to it. He was like, "Well, we can't we can't possibly be racist because Roland Emmerich's boyfriend is a Latino and I've dated black men." And I was like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> and I was like, "Really? That's that defense?" Yeah, like he said that with a total straight face, and I was just like, okay. I mean, again, I'm not. I don't know these people, and again, he made the point that he's he has seen the movie, and he kind of felt like it's unfair for us to to criticize a movie we haven't seen yet based on a trailer. But True. my thing is that a trailer has a specific purpose, right? It has a specific marketing purpose in that in that. 30 seconds to a minute or however long that clip is, that's going to help me determine whether I want to see this movie or not, right? Mm -hmm. So even though we have not seen Stonewall yet, that's your first impression is all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what's coming next, but that's just what you presented, and so you can't expect people not to react to what they saw because they are the consumer. Like I'm the one who's going to decide to give you – yeah. No, I just to say that's also why you put out a trailer so you can get reaction. It's not it's not our fault that you don't like the reaction. Then put out a different trailer. 
Yeah, because from, from what I understand, Marsha P. Uh, some of uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylv- so, uh, Sylvia Rivera are are some of the uh, trans activists that were there at Stonewall. And like you said, you know, she was the one that threw the brick first. When you look at the IMDb page, the actor who is a cisgender actor, to my knowledge, who is portraying Marsha P. Johnson, he's all the way at the bottom of the cast list. Like he's listed at like twenty or twenty one or something like that. So that already tells me that she's going to there's going to be a side story there. Like we'll see a representation of Marcia Johnson. But again, and I think we've talked about this a lot, whether it's the poster or the trailer or whatever, the question is who's telling the story and who's the point which point of view are we seeing the story from? So Roland Emmerich cannot deny that we are actually going to experience Stonewall from the you know, from the perspective of a fictionalized white male cisgendered character. You can't deny that because he easily could have cast a black actor in that role. He could have cast a woman in that role. He could have cast a woman of color in that role. But you chose a white man because that is how you experience gayness in your life, right? And so for you, you know, and, and especially because this movie is is going to be uh, have national distribution, a lot of people who are going to see Stonewall when they walk out of the movie, that's going to be their interpretation of Stonewall. They're not going to do the extra legwork and try to look up Marsha P. Johnson and Silvera and other women of color and other people of color. They're just going to be like, oh, I, I saw Stonewall and I know what the gay rights movement is about. Okay, bye. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I feel like that's very um, harmful to people, and that's how you further m- marginalize people is that you just tell them, like, this is the account. And, of course, people were on on. Twitter saying, well, if you don't like the movie that Roland Emmerich is doing, if you want to see it from the perspective of a trans black woman, why don't you make the movie yourself? Well, the problem is that if a director walked into the movie, it walked into the office and tried to pitch that movie, they wouldn't give it the green light. That's the double standard that they're not talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I walked in there and said, hey, I want to do a movie about Stonewall and I want to cast Laverne Cox in the movie, they'd be like, oh, that's so cute now. You know what I mean? They'd be like, hey, how about you give us Angelina Jolie or Anne Hathaway or XYZ? Like, they, they're they not interested in our perspective. They just want to give you, like, this very dominant view of what whiteness means in the gay movement, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I just reject that. I'm just like, that is not how everybody experiences their LGBTQ um, experience. Because even if you are a white gay male, you do you still um, experience a certain amount of privilege. While you may be gay and you will experience, you know, prejudice as far as your gayness, there's still privileges you get as a white cisgendered male is all I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they don't want to admit that. So they'll talk over it. They're going to yeah. do their little defense of why Stonewall is important, and I'm sure it will get an Oscar nomination, and I'm sure they'll try to, you know, ingrain it into the public school system as to why children should watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It's Watchmen's it's repeat. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Anytime a movie that is particularly um, one that is of actual events that definitely really resonated with a large community, they mm-hmm. – people tend to make the movie synonymous with the actual movement, and they do this constantly for every single movie. Yes. And, yep. and it's just like, unless it's honestly, unless it's like a documentary, you really cannot make that synonymous. I mean, 
there are elements in a movie that have to go in that that and and that are very on par with the filmmakers or the or the storytellers' um, vision. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that I mean I I think again this this is just me touting this being a documentary instead, just mm-hmm. because a documentary tend to not all the time because documentaries also have very clear agendas sometimes, um, and sometimes even presented more clearly, but they tend to also talk to a variety of voices. And so what documentaries do very well is interview a lot of people who are on the ground, you know, particularly Mm -hmm. in this type of a situation, this type of a case. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this movie or any movie, any narrative would satisfy people. I think a documentary would do better. Yeah, that's someone true. in the chat room mentioned that there's a PBS documentary called Stonewall Uprising that's really good. So if oh, you all have access, excellent. To that, <laughs> thank is you. Is it online? Can you watch it? Can you watch it online, or is it? Uh, I'll, I'll check. All, I'll check. Yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll find out if it's online. Um, okay. But our next. Oh, just um. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, just really quickly, the one good thing about this Stonewall conversation um, controversy was that I found out on Twitter that there is actually a, a film or a documentary being made on Marsha P. Johnson, which is called Happy, Happy B-Day Marsha. Um, so if you're on Twitter, you can follow them. Um, the uh, the uh, handle is at H, B as in boy, D as in dog, Marsha, H-B-D Marsha. Um, and I believe the filmmaker's name is Raina Gossett. Um, so, yeah, give your money to her, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, so. On YouTube, too, there was a documentary, a short maybe 30-minute documentary about her. Um, I have to look up the name, but it was one of my new films of the day a while ago, so I have to check it out. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but alternatives. Okay. I'm not just saying there are alternatives. Oh, yeah, alternatives, yeah, definitely. All right, uh, moving on to our next bit of news. Um, Lapita Nyong'o will star in Danae Guerrero's um, Broadway drama Eclipse. Um, Danae wrote the, the play, and basically it's set during the Liberian Civil War, and it follows a group of women who are the captive wives of a rebel officer that happens when um, a new, and what happens when a new woman arrives into the group. Um, and I think this is Lapita's Broadway debut, or stage debut, so that should be awesome. Uh, what do you all think about it? I'm here for anyone, any of our black actors going to Broadway for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> I uh, very, very quickly I saw Tay Diggs at on at uh, on Broadway yesterday at, um, watching Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and that just completely justifies what I just said. That I think so many of us need to be taking to the stage and using that if we can, if we can get that opportunity as an option because that really propels you into the stratosphere. So I'm so happy that both Danae and or Danae and um, Lupita are going that direction or at least, you know, presenting that as an option, and I'm, and I'm just hoping that more people will do that. There's, there's so much flexibility in terms of the characters that you portray and the choices that you make as an actor and just another audience that you can cultivate. So just more power to them. Definitely. Uh, Rebecca, what do you think? I'm very excited about this news. I've been wanting to. I've. I think I've been like pushcasting 
the two of them in movies, <laughs> whether imagined or actual. Um, and I, I think, um, I think it was last month during Comic Con, um, the actress Melissa McBride, who plays um, uh, on The Walking Dead, she had tweeted a picture of Danae on a plane, and she was reading Americana. Um, which is a, a novel that Lupita it will actually be starring in and adapting. Um, so I, seeing that news a few weeks later was just like, oh, okay, I kind of see the connection now. So, um, yeah, a lot of people, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that, besides being a fantastic actress, Danae is actually an award-winning playwright, which is a rarity um, in the industry where you have black female playwrights. Um, I think she had a couple of plays on Off-Broadway that won awards, um, and I, you know, Lapita is a classically trained actress. This is not this girl is not a fluke. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm glad to see that other people, you know, will kind of see her because I know she's in Star Wars, but I don't know how big her role is going to be. But I'm glad that she will be having a leading role in this. So I'm hoping um, I'm going to be there opening night or whenever I can afford a ticket to go see this new uh, to <laughs> see this play. But I am hoping that it will lead to future projects. I would love it if they worked on Americana together because I know oh, as God. of now. It is picked up by a studio. I know that Lapita and David have pretty much committed to the project, but I don't know that they have a director or a playwright or, you know, who's going to adapt the play. And I think Danae would be perfect for that. So, you know, yeah, hopefully, you know, they'll they'll, they'll work on, on more projects mm-hmm. together. They're awesome. So, yeah. They are. Really are. I'm so excited. Um, the two of them together just be epic. <laughs> Like yes. there's no other word mm-hmm. for it. I know we that word around a lot, but epic is the only thing that comes to mind with the two of them together. So super excited about yeah. that. Um, I'm going to come back to our segment on the trailer for um, Empire because I think we have our caller on the line. Hello? Oh. Hello? Hello? Hi. Tashina? Hi. This is Tashina. How are you? Good. How are you? Sure. Good, good, good. I'm actually going to put Tashina on right now. Okay, great. Oh, thank you. Uh, ladies, we're going to be chatting with Tashina so Arnold today. Super excited. Tashina? Okay, she's coming. On your towel. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are boy, you? Boy, oh boy. I am good. Getting tired. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We are so excited to have you on here. Ladies and gentlemen, we're chatting with Tashina Arnold. You know her from Martin. You know her from Survivor's Remorse. You know her from everything because she's been doing it big in Hollywood for a very long time. Um, So how are you doing today? I I am awesome. I'm awesome. A little Mm -hmm. tired from traveling the friendly skies, but I'm okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right, good. Well, um, I know Survivor's Remorse premieres, um, the second season premieres later this month. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the show and your character, Cassie Calloway? Uh, well, yes. Uh, the show premieres August 22nd, and the show is a, a, a hilarious show. I love the show. I've been loved, I've, I've loved just actually playing in it because we just have a great cast of people and we have a great crew. But more importantly, I just love the storyline. And, of course, I'm playing a mother again. <laughs> but her name is Cassie Calloway, who runs not a tight ship, but she don't play. <laughs> she does not play. She, uh, You know, I tried to make Cassie, um, well, she's a, 
she's a no nonsense kind of uh, mother. She's not an older mother. She's a younger mother. I always tell people I'm too old. I'm too old to have kids, but I'm still I, I'm still young enough to look cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, she's a no nonsense kind of kind of gal who who, you know, probably raised her, her kids really, you know, as best as she could on her own, uh, just to give you a little backstory. But uh, here you have a situation where she has two kids that she raised and did the best that she could, and, and here she has a, a star player as a son. And, you know, I'm sure they they wanted to, you know, you have dreams and aspirations, and then you finally get it, and you're in thrusted into a, a new world and new beginnings and um, you do the best that you can and and you try the best that you can. So Cassie is, Cassie does, a, she's, a, she's a trip. She's a little bit of hustler. She's a little bit of a, of a, uh, I don't want to use the word, I don't want to use the word con artist, but she gets what she wants. <laughs> but she, you know what you you know what you're getting with her, you know. But you know, I think her her uh, hustling skills from back in the day definitely come into play in terms of her her lifestyle and her background. But she's raising. She has two kids that one is you know a little more successful than the other. <laughs> I would mm-hmm. tease uh, Erica and Jesse about it. Uh, even off camera, I always tease them. I'm just like, you know, he's the good one. He turned out to be the good one. That's what my mom says about me and my sister. <laughs> like, oh, you know what? My, your sister's a smart one. You're, you're the, you know, you got the, you got the creativity. Your sister got the brains. I'm like, thanks, mom. <laughs> but it's, it's a fun character. It's just a fun show, fun character. Just really excited about being on the Stars Network. Right. Now, you talked about Cassie kind of doing the best that she can. And I know, I think it was episode two um, on the show, they asked her character, you know, how did she, what she attributed to her son's success. And she talked about, you know, whooping him with the, the Hot Wheel track and all of that stuff, uh-huh. which, you know, all the people watching were shocked and appalled. What was the reaction to that episode? Because I feel like, you know, in our community, we've heard that before. <laughs> Other people might be a little shocked about it. But, of course, the response, what was the response like to that episode? Oh, it was a huge response because who knew that all of that stuff would take place with the, um, the 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 football player that had that incident with his son. So it was just a it was a, a timing that we perfect timing that we had no idea would be the perfect timing. But when I read the script, I actually loved it because in our community, as you know, you know we I mean my, my aunt. You know, they use wiffle ball bats and, you know, whatever they can get their hand close on. <laughs> Unfortunately, in these days, it's, it's considered as abuse, but I think a, a bunch of us turned out all right. <laughs> but yeah. when I read it, when I read it, I, when I read it, I, um, I could really identify with it because uh, we all at some point had some, well, not all of us, I don't like generalizing, but we all went through something. Uh, where we got chastised as, chastised as children. And, um, you know, I remember as a little kid, I used to hide the belt. My mom used the belt a few times. So I was like, you know what, let me hide the belt, and then you'll get in more trouble <laughs> for hiding the belt. So I was able to – I really loved the episode because I was re- able to relate to it, hearing so many different stories and childhood stories and, uh, you know, childhood uh, friends of uh, their – childhood friends and their stories – so uh, it was a very poignant, you know, uh, episode that really touched 
on the heartstrings of a lot of people. Some people did not like it, but to me, that's what a show should do. It should incite thought. It should incite, you know, conversation. And it's definitely something that had to be spoken about, you know, even afterwards, I had to start speaking about it, you know, in terms of, you know, even with my daughter, you know, I told, I tell everybody, I say, look, I'm down on record. I believe in the three P's and they're like, what? I said, I believe in three, three P's, the pinch, the pop and the pluck. <laughs> I tell my daughter, yeah, you got a, a, a parent. Yeah. A parent has to have some source of control when that child does not want to listen anymore. So you do your best as a parent, you do your best. And that's kind of how I play Cassie. It's like, she's not the perfect mother. And by any means does she have a per- perfect situation or a perfect life or perfect circumstances. So we all do the best that we can. And I think that's what I try to convey with her and the character and how I deal with my, my, my son and my daughter on the show. It's like, you know, I don't may not always make the right mistakes, but as the mother and as the matriarch, I have to make the best the best choices, you know, that I can that will benefit the whole family and not just individuals. Exactly. Yeah, and you, you know, you talked about Cassie kind of being a hustler, kind of being a con artist, because at the end of that episode, you know, she retracts her statement, gives this tearful, you know, apology, but it's all, you know, just to make things right for her son, basically. You know, we, we know she's not really like that. <laughs> she's not buying it. Uh, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. But we know that, you know, she's doing what she has to do to make things right for her kids, and, you know, we love that about her. Um, you know, yeah, you're what so, mother doesn't, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you are so funny on this show and so funny in everything that you've done. Where does that comedic thing come from, you know? You know, I know part of it's the writing of the characters, but a lot of that is you. You're just so funny like were you a funny kid have you always been <laughs> I've always been I've always gotten on my mother's nerves so <laughs> you know and, and funny enough when I when I was younger in order to get to not get in trouble I would make my mother laugh that's what I would do I was just like and you know and, and I'm not a stand-up comedian but um I love laughing and I love making other people laugh and I think it just comes from having such a tight knit family that we all sit around and tell stories. So I was really nosy as a kid as well. So when my mom and my aunt start talking in pig Latin, I hated that because it, it left me out of the conversation. So I learned pig Latin. I got around it. But the writing on our show is awesome. I think Mike O'Malley does an amazing job. He has such a wonderful vision for this show. Mm. And I tell everyone, my job is to bring the black and white pages to life. And that's what I love doing. Um, it's almost like, you you know, as an actress, I read between the lines. I, I, I A lot of stuff I don't discover until I'm in the middle of doing it. You know, I, I, you find out more about the character as you go along. Um, but having different bits and pieces of information and pieces of memories of my own memories, I always insert a little bit of my own life into whatever it is I'm doing so I can come across and come across natural, you know, as natural as possible. So I'll be believable. But the writing, we have really, really great writing staff, but Michael Malley really put it in this show because he has a very clear direction of what he wants, but he's also very sensitive to um, – uh, him being a, a, a Catholic uh, Irish guy writing for uh, black a black family, so he allows mm-hmm. us to 
give our input, you know, which, you know, I told him that he's going to get my input anyway, whether or not he likes it. (laughs) But it really, it really helps when you have the, when you already have the structure there, you have everything right there on those, on those, on those pages. So, I mean, I, I really enjoy what I do and, you know, hopefully that shows in my work, but being funny, I, I always say being funny always lasts, you know, growing up as a kid and as a, as a young adult, you know, I had a lot of beautiful friends who were models and people running the walkway, you know, catwalks and stuff like that. But I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to stick, stick here and watch Carol Burnett because <laughs> I just <laughs> love, I love comedy. I just love laughing. I love, you know, just, uh, just something comes out different in people when they laugh and when they, it's almost like a relief, you know, laughter just does something to the soul, I always thought. Yeah, definitely. Well, you definitely, you know, put that into your work, and we see it. It comes across. Like I said, you are hilarious. Um, I know for me, when I I first found out we were going to be chatting with you, I was so excited. My inner seven-year-old was doing the Cabbage Patch because my absolute favorite movie (laughs) all time, yes, my favorite movie of all time is Little Shop of Horrors. I have seen it maybe, and I am obsessed. You know, I'm the person listening to the soundtrack downtown on my way to work every day. I love that movie so much. Wow. And, you know, the, oh, the, the, the we, background. You, you stole the movie. You all stole the movie. So when you were filming it, like, did you have any idea of what kind of cult classic that was going to become? Like, did you know what you were a part of when you were filming that movie? We, we knew when we, we auditioned for the movie. They auditioned, when I tell you, girls and women around the world. Frank Oz told us that they went, they auditioned women in Australia, as far as Australia and New Zealand. And, and they ended up coming right on back to, <laughs> to good old America and, and hired me, Michelle, and, and Tisha, which we thought was an awesome experience because I was, I was only 15 at the time. And to be able to book a major motion movie with Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd and all of these, I mean, just amazing people that you watched all these years, you're finally working with them. And it's like a dream come true. But we had no idea that the movie would be as successful as it was. I think I was more excited about the fact that the voice of Miss Piggy was directing us. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Every day I would make him do the voice of Miss Piggy. But to be able to be to live in London and you know fly the Concorde and just uh, ex- just the whole experience of it was an amazing feeling and to this day it's an amazing feeling because even when we were younger we when the movie came out we went to the movie theater on 42nd Street so I was like oh yeah I want to see how it is you know I want to hear the audience's real reaction and. We sat in front of these girls, and the girls was like, oh, I'm sick of these black girls coming on the screen. (laughs) A lot of people thought it was a real horror movie. They didn't know it was a comedy. So I just, like, dipped down in my seat like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a flop. But I think it was one of those movies that it's just a classic. You didn't know it was going to be a classic, kind of like what Martin did. We didn't know what we had with Martin until it was, you know, gone, until – you know, later on when people just start watching it and, and they, you know, appreciate it later on in life. So that's how with Little Shop of Horrors was. It was just like a slow burn, but a really, really cult film. It turned into a cult film. We had no idea. 
no idea whatsoever. Yeah, like I said, I really, truly believe it's the best movie ever made, like greatest of all time. <laughs> I can watch it. What did you time. like about it? Like, is it is it because it had singing and dance? Like, was it just the whole, the, the, like, what is it? Like, everybody always say they love the movie, but it's like I never hear one specific thing that you liked about it. Like, because either, like, back when it first came out, you either loved it or you hated it. But mm-hmm. it's like now everybody says that they loved it. So it's like, I guess people have, I guess, you know, it's different. they love it for different reasons, but I never hear one reason, you know? Well, I love the fact that it was a musical. I feel like it might have been, like, the first movie that I saw in the theater as well. Um, and just the oh, singing, okay. the dancing, the story. I mean, Audrey, too, it's it's perfect. It, there's, like, nothing not to love about it, Tashina. <laughs> nothing not to love about it. <laughs> it's the perfect movie. That was a- <laughs> And it was fun, really, going into the studio too. Uh, when I did the live version, I did the the, uh, the version at the Orpheum Theater off Broadway, and um, that was a great experience too. I did it after the movie, so it's kind of uh, opposite for me. It's like weird. Okay, I did the movie first, and now I'm doing the play because I had never seen the play prior to mm-hmm. doing the movie, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was uh, very interesting to have done the movie first and then do the play. It's like, <laughs> I wish it would have been the opposite. I probably would have gotten more of a gist of it. But I think De- uh, Geffen and, and just Frank Oz and everybody that was a part of that movie had a very, very clear, uh, um, clear creative ideas that they wanted. And they brought it to life on screen and it worked. And here we are years later talking about it. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It is. It's, it's amazing. Um, Candace, I know you had a question for Tashina, so I'm going to toss it to you. Hi, Candace. Yeah. Hi, Tashina. How are you? <laughs> I feel like we're best friends now. So question, because now we're talking about Little Shop of Horrors, and my one of my first questions would be, because you would ask what we love about the movie, and I think it's not my favorite, favorite movie, but what I okay, think of good. when I think of when I think of Little Shop of Horrors, I think it's so much fun. And I'm not oh, even really okay. a big, like, horror slash comedy fan, but uh-huh. that mixed in with the performances, with the songs, I'm like, this. <laughs> it's one of those movies yeah. that I, if I, I'm having a really bad day, I come home and that's on, I'm going to watch it regardless. I don't care where in the wow. movie it is. It's just really wow. fun. And it seems like you guys were really having a good time. And I love movies that it looks like the actors are really enjoying themselves. We, so that's, we did. I mean, it was it was a lot of work for that to be my first feature film. It was a lot of work. But it was work, you know, welcomed because I we had never experienced anything like that before. I mean, we're working at Pinewood Studios, this big old set. And even in the opening number, um, when we're singing Little Shop of Horrors in the blue polka dot dresses, yes. the rain, they, had to, they had to rig the rain because it was raining all around us, but we're the only ones that would not get wet. So they had to rig these things in the, in the, in the, in the uh, ceiling. And mm. it was just crazy. It was just a lot, very technical, really, really technical. Yeah. But uh, great experience. It's a good experience. I can see that. I can see that. Do you think you would do any more theater? I know you said you did some off-Broadway, and I'm sure you've done other, other uh, productions in the past. Do you think you would do that more in the future? Yeah. Yes, I love theater. Um, I was mm-hmm. raised in the theater, and, you know, that's, that's my – theater is my roots. I would definitely do theater again. Um 
uh, as to what pieces. I don't know. I, I definitely want to do a one-woman show. That's for sure. Oh. Uh, been, yeah, I've been kind of working on it throughout my life because before I didn't have anything to talk about or tell, but mm. now that I'm older, I got a lot of stuff to say now. So yes. I, uh, <laughs> so I just thought there's so many facets of my life that I want to just tell, you know, I want to tell a story. So now that I do have, you know, something to talk about, I, I would love to do a one-woman show. But, yeah, the only thing I have not done is Broadway. The only two things in the industry I haven't done is Broadway and stand-up. Stand up, you can forget about it. That's not, I, I leave that to the stand up comedian. That's not happening. But the closest that I can get to a, to a stand up is doing a one woman show. Do it. I mean, do the one woman show and do, and go on Broadway. This is where everyone is going. And I'm always talking about this on this show. I recently saw Tay Diggs on uh, Hedwig, at, or yeah, performing on Hedwig and the Angry Inch yesterday on Broadway. And I know Brandy did her thing in Chicago. And we're just there's such a resurgence, and I feel like there's so much possibility for us on the on the stage. And I think you would be because oh, yeah. you're so theatrical by nature. And I don't, and you probably realize it. <laughs> Your facial Are you expressions. Are calling me dramatic? No, I know you're dramatic. I know what you're trying to say. No, it's just like you're 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 funny and you're very emotive without actually having said anything, <laughs> and that's a real skill set. I would have loved to have been part of the Wiz cast. I mean, to me, that was one of my favorite movies in the world. You know, every black kid grew up on the Wiz. We knew about the Wiz mm -hmm. before we knew about the Wiz of Oz. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I did it um, at the at the music. What is that music hall? I can't remember the name of the music music center. Um, mm -hmm. City center. Thank you, Zanae. My sister always has to help me. Uh, my city center, and I played uh, Eveline, and that was so much fun. Oh my God, I had so much fun. It was a blast. I just hate that that production didn't, you know, it didn't go further. But really, really mm -hmm. good production. I mean, amazing dancers, the people in it. I mean, just the the cast was awesome. Oh, it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'm, I will do theater. <laughs> theater will. Definitely come back around, but you know, as you know, theater takes a lot of work, a lot of time, it does. It less does. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. when you do theater, you gotta have your life set up to where you know you can do theater. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I another thing, kind of switching gears a bit, is I was a huge and still a huge fan of Everybody Hates Chris, and I think that was Aww. such a great ensemble show. And just kudos all the way for that. What would you cherish most about working on that show? Oh, man. Well, it's the first time that I ever played a mother. I was really mm. afraid about it because it's like, oh, my God, once I play a mother, once you play a mother, you always play a mother. So I knew it would be, uh, you know, motherhood from then, from then on in terms of the roles. But I welcomed it with the challenge because it would be a challenge. And, I, well, I mean, I welcomed it with open arms because I knew it would be a challenge. Um, and Ali Leroy and Chris Rock just did their thing on that show. That show allowed me to really spread my wings. So I will always be grateful for that. Uh, but Everybody Hits Chris is another one of those shows. It's like I knew we would be gone by the time everybody would catch on to it. And they would want more, but then it would be too late. And that's exactly oh. what happened. We only did four seasons. I think we could have done easily easy six seasons for it. But yeah. you know, it was an awesome, it's an awesome experience. Like that, that show really um, 
it, it allowed it, it made me tighten up my chops, so to speak, because here I am uh, playing a mother, and I am the matriarch on the show. So it's like I was mm-hmm. always first in, last out, you know. Mm-hmm. And then working with kids, you got to shoot the kids out. You can't; they can't work all day. So literally, mm-hmm. I first in, last out. <laughs> but it was wow, it was worth it. It was well worth it. Well worth it. I mean, you know, just watching it. I don't watch myself, so a lot of stuff I don't remember because I don't. I, once I do stuff, I don't. I don't watch it anymore because then I'll become too. Uh, I critique myself too much. And I don't want to, yeah. like, when I'm working or when I'm acting, I don't want to think about what I'm doing. I don't want to start censoring myself during, while I'm acting. Gotcha. No, I know a lot of people actually do that. I know Denzel Washington said that he doesn't ever watch his movies, or mostly he doesn't watch his movies or something like that. So I know that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, last no, it question. Is. It is. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last no, question for is uh, actually from one of our Twitter followers, Yolanda Lewis. She says, and I know you have more than 30 years of experience on the big and small screens. What do you, uh, two questions, I guess. What, um, what, what is your experience like, or which do you prefer working on cable versus network TV? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I've never been asked that before. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and had you asked, had she asked me that question years ago, I definitely would say no, major network TV. But cable <laughs> television, the content is, is to me is very, it's great content because you know you don't have any uh, limitations as to the content. You know, it's very you know gender and very um, age specific, and you can get away with you know a lot more than you can. Uh, being on a network television, but network television, major network television pays a lot more money. <laughs> you reap you reap a lot more benefits from being on a major network. But I uh, I I think I've by choice, if we're speaking in terms of my craft and and the art artistry of it, I would say cable network because. Hmm. You know, you get you get you get to spread your wings a little further on cable, but that depends yeah. too. So I, that's kind of a hard question there because I really haven't had that much experience on major major networks. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kind of a hard question to answer because I can only speak, you know, to, to what I've experienced, and it's been okay. mostly on the uh, the cable network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, girl. No, <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you again for joining us. And I know, um, I think Kim, you say you have one more question from the chat room. Thank you for having. Yeah, we have one yeah, more question from the chat room. Um, yeah, they want to know why you got me. <laughs> they want to. They say that you and Tisha Campbell have great chemistry together. Is there any chance of her guest starring on Survivor's Remorse, or you two working together again? Uh, there's always a chance of us working together. That's for sure. Uh. We, I don't know if she, she's doing a, I think she's booked a different show. I think she's on something because contractually we always, Tisha and I always, we always have our, uh, other con- contracts that we're, you know, that we're, we, we have to uh, abide by. So we got, you know, we never, <laughs> we haven't worked together in a minute. So it's about that time. So hopefully something can happen. But, you know, as any of my friends, I'm so happy when some, when, it, when we're working, we're happy. <laughs> so mm-hmm, whether it's together mm-hmm. or whether it's separate, you know, as long as we're working and we're doing what we enjoy doing. But that's always a possibility. I mean, it was uh, everybody was talking about, oh, is there going to be a Martin reunion? 
I think the time <laughs> is past. You know, it's, you know, when something ends on top, you know, sometimes it's best to stay that way because the bar is set so high to where if we did come back and do a Martin reunion or if it did happen, you know, the bar would be set so high and so much time has passed. I really don't know how it would turn out. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's, I guess it's worth taking a shot, but you just never know. Sometimes things the, things are better left alone. That's what I say. Yeah. I mean, but especially when you have knows? something as iconic and as classic as that, you just want to have the memory and just let it be. So I completely understand. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So many so many people wanted to come back. It was just like, uh, uh, we're gonna be in walkers and, and wheelchairs by the time. <laughs> 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 com- the comedy won't be exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like we said before, um, you know, season two of Survivors and More premieres, I think, August 22nd. Is there anything else you're working on that you want to tell us about? I know you have the We Win Foundation. Are you making music? Yeah. Anything you the We Win Foundation, I'm uh, actually singing at uh, September 26th, the Lupus Foundation of America. I'm singing nice. um, for their Lupus Walk, and so I'm representing the We Win Foundation, of course. Hello to all my Loopies out there. It's so funny. Everybody thinks that I have lupus. It's my sister that has lupus. She was diagnosed with seven diseases, and the last one that she was diagnosed with was lupus. So we uh, we got together, and she decided she wanted to do a foundation. So we started the We Win Foundation, and once we started that, oh God, we really, we just start meeting and talking to, to people. So many people suffering from it, or somebody who knows somebody that's suffering from it. So, long story short, we are doing everything in our power to help people, just whatever in whatever way we can. So the We Win Foundation definitely is out there, and you know we're we're going strong. We're doing whatever it is that we got to do to uh, eradicate this disease. And if we can't get rid of it, we are damn sure trying our hardest to make sure that people know that they can live with it and not die of it, die from it, Mm -hmm. from the complications of it. So we are uh, definitely working hard on that. And I want to do a life story. I really, I put it out there before about Nina Simone, but that didn't happen. But I I really, really want to play another life story. I played Lena Baker who was the first black woman to be executed in the state of Georgia. And it was a true story. And um, I actually just really had such a wonderful experience playing somebody else's life um, on top of doing a complete full on out, just no comedy at all, just all drama. And that was definitely one of the the things on my bucket list. So I want to try it again. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I would love to do the Sarah Vaughn story. I'm actually... Um, reading the book and kind of listening and sitting with it for a minute. So I'm put it out there, but I would love to do the yes. life of Sarah Vaughn. That would be epic, and that would be so great. Wow. Yeah, Christina, girl, put, it, put, it, look, put it out there for me. Put it out there for me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it up into the stars and let it come back. <laughs> right. Christina, thank you. So much for chatting with us today. This has been so great. We appreciate you. We love you. You're Not awesome. A Not Thank a problem. You. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate all the support that I've gotten from so many people throughout the years. Like you, you don't even understand. Like even on my hardest day, I just always think, you know, God has blessed me 
to do what I love. I mean, you got so many people waking up every day hating what they do. So mm-hmm. God has blessed me to wake up every day and doing, I'm doing what I love. And if I could put a smile on somebody's face doing what I love, I mean, that is all the blessing in the world. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. you have definitely done that part. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Good. Be blessed. Bye-bye. That was so cool. That was epic. <laughs> I know here all of this over here, like, shuffle it and kept it fast and all kind of stuff. Got to keep her in. <laughs> yes. That was fun. Uh, that was fun. Appreciate her. All right. Mm-hmm. In our last segment, I know Rebecca um, and we have Jamie from Black Girl Nerds on the line as well to talk about the flash and this uh, latest casting news that's happened and you know, Twitter and their reaction. Jamie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. Hey, how are you? Hey, thank you guys for inviting me on, and I, I feel so honored to be following Tashina Arnold. Like, I'm mm-hmm. geeking out listening to this interview. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like I've made it now. <laughs> so, yeah. That Twitter was all abuzz with the news that Kenyon Lonsdale is being cast as Wally West on The Flash. Uh, Kenyon's an African American uh, actor, of course, and apparently people are not really feeling him as Wally West. So, uh, can you tell me what's, what's all the hubbub about and you know what's going on? Yeah, so Wally West, um, just to give you some background, he's known as Kid Flash. He's Barry Allen's successor. Um, most of us know Wally West from either watching the animated series Young Justice um, as Kid Flash. He also was the Flash in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Um, so in those cartoons, and also he has his own comic book, he's a white character with red hair. He's a ginger kid. Um, and most folks that know Wally West know of those images. Well, Wally West is now on... Arrow's, um, C- or excuse me, The Flash, the CW network, and he's being cast by an African-American actor. His name escapes me right now. Um, but in this rendition of uh, The Flash, he is actually going to be the nephew to Iris West. Um, and uh, folks on Twitter got really angry when it was announced that this actor is African-American, which I found absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Um, because it, you know, it, it wasn't something that was just a surprise that they just dropped this bomb on us. This has been common knowledge since early last year when Berlanti had mentioned in several interviews that he intended to have a black character as Wally West, that he purposely cast both Iris West and Joe West to be African-American so they can come eventually into this direction of making a black Wally West. So the fact that folks are upset about this now, it's like, where have you been? (laughs) Um, And then in the New 52 comic, um, he's also black. So it just, it it was really just weird nerd rage that was more hilarious to us than insulting. And um, I I just found it very funny that when a character is race-bent, especially as a black character, it's like, ooh, let's get angry about it. But then when there's whitewashing that happens, which has been sort of a common theme with Arrow, I just hear mm. crickets. I don't hear anybody mm. talking about it. Mm. 
That's a good yeah, point. Kind of yeah, crazy. I I was a I was very confused as to why people were so upset. Like I'm not sure why. Like you said, um, Jamie, the setup was there from last season. So I don't know. I mean, like, would it have been realistic to cast a white actor to play Iris's nephew? Like that. That I'm just wondering. Like, what was the um, what was the mentality behind that? Because I think you retweeted a couple of really stupid and ridiculous tweets from, you know, some of the dude bros that were in their feelings, and they were like, uh, Wally West has red hair. He's supposed to be a ginger. Um, how dare you cast a black actor in this role? And I was just like, you know, and then I think someone sent me this ridiculous tweet. Somebody else was like, this is actually discrimination against gingers. Oh, my <laughs> they God. Like, Somebody did that. <laughs> yeah, somebody said that they were like redheaded people are marginalized in Hollywood, and it was just like you guys. Oh it. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> but they were quiet about Chris Evans as Johnny Storm, you know, with his brunette hair. That that was okay. He wasn't mm-hmm. blonde in that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it it just really um, reinforces that anti-blackness is real, especially in nerd culture. That somehow mm-hmm. when a character mm-hmm. is black, that's a problem. Someone tweeted to me earlier today about the movie Thor, which I had completely forgotten that there was an mm-hmm. Asian character that was cast, and nobody said anything about that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't become rage until it's a black actor or actress that's filling in the role. And yes. it just it, it really just makes me it, it it's frustrating, but it's also very hypocritical because they'll use mm-hmm. the excuse, well, you know, that's just the way it is in the comics. But if that's the case, then why didn't you get upset when Raz Al Ghul was played by a white actor? Why didn't you get upset when Brick was played by a white actor? Um, but all of a sudden, it's now a problem. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, in Legends of Tomorrow, which is also the the spinoff of Flash and Arrow, the White Canary character is going to be played by Katie Lotz, who's white, blonde hair, blue eyes. And mind you, I love the Sarah character, but traditionally, if I remember correctly, um, she was Asian. White Canary was Asian in the comic book. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I didn't hear any backlash about that. You know, like for me, I was just like, I think I do agree with you that between Arrow and Flash, I think Flash tends to race bend more than Arrow does. That, that, that could just be me. I do notice that there there are more characters whitewashed in Arrow. Um, although I do think that their racial representation is pretty good. I think that they have a, a, a lot of a lot more Asian actors um, than I've seen than in most shows. But right. and of course they're in flashback. But yeah, I just thought that it was just ridiculous. I I personally think that the actors that they cast for Wally West is super adorable. I, yeah. I, I'm not really familiar with his work. From what I understand, he's he's in Insurgent. I haven't seen that movie, but I guess I have to put that on my list now. <laughs> um, it's and not he's, good. And he's from, yeah. And then, and sorry, <laughs> I wanted to say that. Don't watch it. You don't have to put it on your list. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, Take it he's, off a, he's a he's a he's a black guy in the movie, and um, he's and I didn't know that he's Australian because of course the minute I found out I Googled him and went to YouTube and he's actually Australian, he has the cutest Australian accent ever. Um and I was like, God, I wish we could keep Raleigh West with an Australian accent. But um yeah, I just find it ridiculous that people are so ups- upset about it. And I think the one thing that did hearten me um a lot is that I really loved how black nerd Twitter kind of like closed ranks. <laughs> 
and kind of <laughs> shut people down. Um, and I think you told me there was one woman, I, I think her handle is Oh Hey Jay. She um, came up with this great hashtag called Leave Wally Alone. Um, you know what I mean? Yep. Just kind of showing examples of whitewashed characters or whatever. And I think what was especially beautiful, too, was seeing the cast and the production um, coming out to show Keenan Lonsdale so much love, like Grant Gustin, who plays The Flash, um, you know, uh, has, you know, shown him love on Twitter and Candace K. Patton. So, um, you know, A.J. Kreisberg, all the production. So I really love the fact that they have um, kind of doubled down on their diversity plan <laughs> for their mm-hmm. show, and they don't apologize, you know, because yep. they were just like, you guys are going to deal. There's going to be a black Wally West, and you guys are just going to have to deal with that, you know. And also the fact, too, and, and I think that's really exciting, is that um, – uh, Mr. Terrific, the Mr. Terrific character on Arrow is going to be gay yeah. on the show. Oh, so we'll have a black gay superhero. That's mind-blowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're doing yeah. a lot of important work to me on in the DC small screen universe. And I think people should be celebrating that instead of being so upset about that. Like I, I'm just very confused by it. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's just, People need to really get over it. Like, at the end of the day, these are fictional characters. It's not going to infringe on you in any way. Um, Mm -hmm. And plus, you have tons and tons of white characters to adore and admire um, if this one black character is racist in this TV show or in this comic book. At the end of the day, it's not going to hurt you. So just deal Mm -hmm. with it. And this is something that's going to be happening. You're going to see more of it. As more people have demands for diversity in media and entertainment, you're going to see mm-hmm. these kinds of changes and um, these kind of creative liberties taken. So folks need to just get over themselves. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's one thing, and uh, which is so funny, like you said, about seeing more of the race bending. Um, with Star Wars, um, for instance, you know, we know that John Boyega – um, character Finn. We don't really know what his last name is because they're being very ambiguous about who the ties of these new characters are to the um, original Star Wars uh, cast. But I was actually DMing with a writer who writes for comic books or whatever, and he was like, um, a lot of people are not connecting the dots because a few months ago they introduced in the tar- Star Wars comic book that Han-, Han Solo has a wife who's black. Right, so we are mm-hmm. finding out that he has an ex-wife named Sana Solo, right? And of course, all the nerd boys were like, "Wait, he was married to a black woman? This isn't Star Wars, Ken. And you know, they were just in their feelings. But he was like, "Maybe you should make the connection. They have a black woman who's playing um, Han Solo's wife, and you have John Boyega in the movie. It could very well be that John Boyega ends up being Han Solo's son." I'm just throwing that out there, and I don't know. I I don't know that they would be ready for that. I think it's exciting because if you look at what he wears, there's one scene in the movie where he kind of wears the same jacket as Han Solo, like that short leather jacket. So I don't think that it's gratuitous for them to create a black ex-wife for Han Solo. I think they're kind of preparing people for that. So I I don't know if it's true. I'm just throwing it out there. But I think that that did happen. That theory. Oh my gosh. That That would be amazing. Amazing. Because I saw Focus last night. I saw Focus last night, the Will Smith movie, and Uh there was a twist in the end where we found out that Will Smith's father was white. (laughs) You know what I mean? He was played by uh, Gerald McRaney, and I had to Uh rewind. Like, wait, what? (laughs) You know Uh what I mean? But I mean. Yeah, 
yeah, this is the world we live in. Is of course Halle Berry, for all intents and purposes, looks black, but she's biracial. Biracial children right. come in all sorts of shades and colors, so it's not yep. unrealistic. Yeah, so. Wow, that would make a lot of people angry. Oh my God. Yeah. And I look forward to it. <laughs> Me too. You know, so, so you know, okay, so I, I'm, I'm very not, I'm very kind of removed from this story, but I was listening to you, to you guys talking and everything, and you know, this is something that we're, we're constantly seeing all the time. We're talking about it on the show all the time, the race bending and how people are just like, as you say, really in their feelings about it. And so mm-hmm. I just decided while you guys were talking to, to look up what, folks are saying, and I typically do not do this because I don't like to welcome idiocy into my world. It just happens oh, absolutely. in my life. <laughs> right. And so, and so uh, I just I just did this is one time. This is a very rare exception. And so I, I happen to see, and I'm going to just call them out, Bleeding Cool, which is a site that I've gone on many occasions. Um, mm-hmm. They wrote something in there. Actually, this was um, last year, so I don't know how relevant this is or what. But they, the title was "Why the New Black Wally West is Just Offensive." And what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what they say. Now, granted, I did not finish reading the story, and I, I really prefer to read the entire article before commenting on it. But I will say, okay. in these last five minutes that I've been reading it, and it's pretty lengthy, and it talks about a lot of things that are over my head in terms of characters because I don't know all these characters' names. But particularly mm-hmm. in terms of Wally West. He mm-hmm. makes a point to say that, and this is, you know, Wally West and any type of um, character that is quote-unquote race-bended and also written by white uh, writers, is that his mm-hmm. thing is that it'll, it'll become really, really stereotypical. And then he uses all, this, all these, um, he, he basically says what it could possibly be. Like he makes these assumptions like, oh, is he going to, what was it, let me find it for you. Is he going mm-hmm. to impregnate oh this is miles morales okay so this is different things going on so he's like oh is miles going to impregnate gwen stacy or is he going to be a drug dealer things like that and his thing is oh you know if they get in the hands of white white writers then it's then they're going to be complete stereotypes i don't think they should be doing that they should just stay in their lane blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. so that was what i got again from not reading the entire thing but reading the the pretty much the gist of it but I wanted to know, hear what you guys thought of that. Um, well, okay, so I'm looking at the article, and I think there is I, – I definitely understand. Like, I haven't read the new 52, but from what I understand, the new – the Wally West that's been introduced in 52, who is the black Wally West, is sort of like a delinquent, right? Like, the first scene when we right. – are introduced to him, he's he's arrested, and his white uncle, Barry Allen, comes to bail him out or whatever. So I saw a couple of frames that people had posted, and I kind of read it. So I definitely understand the criticism and the fact that, um, you know, why does the black character have to be the kid that's getting in trouble or whatever? Um, I And so I, I definitely understand that. That is problematic. Um, that being said, you know, I have been watching. I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of Greg Berlanti and A.J. Kreisberg. And I've, for the most part, their adaptations of the characters, I have not been unhappy with them, right? Iris West and Joe West are black characters, but they never treat them like stereotypes to me. You know, Iris is just someone, she's very inquisitive, she's beautiful, she's smart, she's witty, she's not, you know, rolling her neck, she's not sassy, she's not, you know what I mean? Like, she's just written as a person. And so, and, and Joe West, who's played by Jesse L. Martin, is just so fantastic in this role. Like, I just always see people, 
You know what I mean? And they do use a little vernacular from here to there, which is more current, I think. But it's never a stereotypical role. So I'm hoping that them writing and adapting the Wally West character, I think that they will show the same generosity in writing it. I, I, me, personally, I would hope that when they do Wally West, I would hope that they would drop that whole he's a punk, he's a troubled punk or whatever. I would much rather that he's sort of like you know, a hacker, <laughs> like he's a troublemaker, like maybe some like social activist or some sort of like renegade, you know, for the rights of people or something. Like I'd rather see that than seeing him just being in trouble because he's like stealing stuff or whatever because um, why not make him a nerd? Why not? Like, you know, we don't we don't have a lot of black nerds on television. Um, one of the things Based I love it. about the – yeah, one of the things about The Flash that I love, one of my favorite characters is Cisco Valdez. Who's um yeah. who play um yes uh, yeah and he is like a Latin a Latino he's Mexican and he's brilliant you know what I mean and they never um, stereotype him I mean there's episodes where they do bring elements of his culture there was an episode where we met his brother and his family and they you know fleshed him out and he spoke Spanish with his brother but he's brilliant. Like, he's smart, and I was just like, yes, finally, somebody who's a Latino catcher who's not the gardener or the hot Latino <laughs> Lothario, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think with, yeah, so I think with Wally, I think we should wait and see. I think they're going to do a good job with it. I don't think that they're going to go the route. I think they might actually do a better job with Wally West on television than they may have done in the comics as far as introducing his character. That's that's what I have to say about that. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I also have not read New 52. From what I understand from a lot of folks um, on Twitter and people that have sent me feedback, there's a lot of fans that are not happy with New 52, uh, Wally West. But mm-hmm. um, Berlanti has mentioned, and again, many of these interviews that were done a year ago, that they don't plan to go down the same path as the comic, because in the comic, Iris West mm-hmm. is white. So there's going to be mm-hmm. some rebooting that's going to be happening on the show um, with Wally West and the relationship between Iris and Joe. And I haven't right. seen anything on this show indicative of showing any kind of tropes towards people of color. I mean, like you mm-hmm. so eloquently put it, Rebecca, like, mm-hmm. you know, Cisco is this hacker, you don't see any kind of tropes like you saw what happened in <clears throat> Ant-Man with respect to mm. Latinos, which was just like a freaking minstrel show to me. Um, but you just didn't, really, it, it really was. But you didn't see oh, that no. kind of coonery going on on mm-hmm. Flash like you did in, in Ant-Man. So, yeah, I think they're doing a great job with how they're handling people of color. I love the way they're um, writing Joe West and the relationship mm-hmm. that he has with, with Barry. And mm-hmm. we, the last time I was on this show, we had a conversation about Iris West. I think they have improved substantially with her character. They're yes. developing her more. I love the fact that towards the end of the series, she was the now the point of view character where we heard her voiceover. So we're able to get her motives. Um, so it's good that they are trying, and so far from what I'm seeing, they're doing a pretty good job with representing people of color and not reducing us to, you know, racial negative tropes. Yeah, and you know, and the thing too is because um, they the other character that they've race bended too, at least to my knowledge, is Legends of Tomorrow. They've cast Sierra Renee to play Hawk Girl, um, and from mm-hmm. what I heard, she got a little bit of heat. I didn't know this because, like, once they announced that she was um, Hot Girl, I, of course, looked her up on Twitter and I started following her because Hot Girl is, like, my all-time favorite female character um, from the DC Universe. And so 
you know, I saw something on her timeline which was very problematic where she was just basically, like, addressing her haters because there were people who were saying, one, how dare they cast an actress of color to play Hawk Girl. Mind you, Hawk Girl is, like, of some Egyptian day who's been, like, reincarnated for thousands of years. So I was like, I never considered hot girl in my head to be white, but whatever. Um, and then there were people that were, like, criticizing her looks, right? They were like, oh, she has a horrible wow. overbite. She's too, she's too ugly, which was oh, code for she's too black to play hot girl. And I was just like, you guys, this is not a good look. You know what I mean? Like, that's not – but, again, you know, they, they kind of closed the ranks and they've, they've supported Sierra Renee. I think she was training here in New York, and I think she's heading to Vancouver um, this week or uh, this coming week to start filming for Legends of Tomorrow. So, I mean, listen, people are just going to stay mad because I have a feeling that Berlanti and Kreisberg have a few <laughs> more race-bended characters up their sleeve. And, and what I love about them is that they don't, they don't apologize – they don't do yeah. any response articles. They're just like, whatever. You know what I mean? They're, they, from what I've noticed um, with the Wally West thing, they have not responded. They're just like, say. yeah. Well, yeah. Like, 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 whatever. That's the thing. It would be redundant for them to make a statement because the statements are already there. Pull up anything right. on the web. Type in Wally mm-hmm. West, Black, Berlanti. There's a plethora of articles where he's already discussed this. So that's why I was like, why are people mad now? You're like a year late <laughs> in your anger right now. <laughs> well, there's still, from what I understand, there are people who are still upset about Iris and Joe being black. Like, I, doing some research, I was reading the comment section of, like, um, articles on Variety and Hollywood Reporter, and there were people that were like, well, I never watched The Flash from Jump because Iris and Joe were, were cast as black characters. I was like, really? You, you just are just not invested in this show because two people of color are in this show. And I just, to be honest with you, I'm not even upset. I feel like there's their loss because I think The Flash is one of the best shows on television right now. Yes, and so if you don't want to join the party, oh, well. I mean, you know, I guess you can go to White Land where Marvel resides. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, just for me. You know. Well, let me not be, let me be fair. I do think that the Marvel, I do think the Marvel small screen universe, like if you look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. definitely has more diversity, you know, with Ming right. Na Wen, and uh, you do see people of color, and I think her character was married to Blair Underwood, which is fantastic. Um, so now yeah. I feel like I need to watch just those episodes. Um, the big screen Marvel universe, to me, has a huge diversity problem. And they really, I mean, yes, we know Black Panther is coming down the pike. I get that. But for me, all the other Marvel movies that have come before that, um, are super white, and I think part of the reason why I have not seen Ant-Man is because I am still in my feelings that they cast a white actress to play Janet Van Dyne, because um, Lily Evangeline, great actress, but that being said, I know for a fact that that actress was, that character was Asian um, in the comic books, and it would have been nothing for them to cast an Asian actress and just say that she was biracial. Okay, Michael Douglas is her father, and he married a, you know an Asian woman. Problem solved, you know, but but they tried to fool us by putting like some, you know, pixie cut whatever wig on literally Evangeline, like, oh, here, she's kind of Asian. Like, I'm not falling for that. Like, come on, guys, get out of here. The wasp is Asian. In my in my definition, the wasp is Asian. She is not white. And so uh, so until they honor that, I'm just going to ignore that. That's just the way I feel. So Well, you're not missing much by skipping out on Ant Man, so 
I don't I don't get it. I mean, I don't know if you guys are gonna be talking about Fantastic Four soon, but like I just don't understand why everybody is heralding Ant Man to be like the greatest Marvel movie as of late mm-hmm. and then they're saying that, you know, Fantastic Four was horrible when there's a lot of problems in Fantastic Four that I also saw in Ant Man. And Ant Man isn't a terrible film, like it's not oh god, this is horrible. But it wasn't yeah. that great. It really wasn't that great. They're they they really very, gunning for this movie. I, they, they had the machine behind them. These Marvel movies that are, you know, in bed with Disney, they've got the machine behind them to get the support that they need, you know, to mm-hmm. garner as many critics to write really good reviews for them as much as possible, to get enough marketing out there to where they'll oh make enough money. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they have that machine behind them, and, um, you know, sadly, Fox just doesn't, obviously, with what happened with those numbers. But, yeah, a- Ant-Man is a mediocre film at best. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen Fantastic Four yet. I, I, I was supposed to see it this weekend, but I'm going to see it this week. But, yeah, I mean, like, I went to Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's at 9%. Like, the critics' um, approval is, like, at 9%. It only, I think they're only going to make about $30 yeah. million dollars in the box office. And my heart is just hurting for Michael B. Jordan right now. Like, I'm like, damn. Um, but the funny thing is, um, Jamie, like, I've, I've been reading my timeline because, you know, I try not to – I'm a critic. Yes, I get it. But I was like, let's see what the people think. And I really feel like as many negative reviews as I've seen from people seeing – I've seen some people like you who are like, it's not a bad movie. I don't, you know what I mean? So I'm just like, like, what are we, what's going on here? But maybe, like you said, there's more at work that, you know, as far as the machine or or whatever, because, I mean, I'm not naming no names. But, yeah, I know that there are critics who (laughs) write favorable reviews for certain studios. That's the way it works. You know what I mean? They're the ones that get the, they get the trips, they get the this, they get the that, and it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, can you, Say say a word, you know, for Age of Ultron. Can you say a word for? Well, I don't want to say Age of Ultron, but whatever movie, whatever studio, you know what I mean. Right. There is co- coercion on some side, but yeah, I'm gonna have to see it for myself because I'm not gonna let people decide for me whether mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like the movie was, or not. I'm glad you're saying that because I I don't understand that. I don't understand the rage first of all behind this film because a lot of the folks that were tweeting me on Twitter hadn't even mm-hmm. seen the film yet. And they were saying, this movie sucks, and don't go see Fantastic Four. And I'm like, did That's you watch That's a Twitter film? thing. No, I'm not going to go see it. Like, really, dude? You, you're criticizing a film that you've never seen before. Okay. That's so what I, Twitter I, I does. That, that's Twitter. That's, yeah, that's so Twitter. That's not even just this movie. That's, they do that with everything. I mean, that's it's true. just you go to Twitter to rage out about – most of the things you don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, okay, I saw a tweet. Now I know everything I need to know about this movie, <laughs> and I'm going to bash it. It's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. It's crazy. But that was the I same saw 140 with, um, characters. Yeah. Oh, 140. Yeah, but you know what? One of the movies that I felt that, 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 that um, falls into that category, and I'm going to say this till the day I die, when After Earth came out with Will Smith and his son Jaden, they ravaged that movie. You would have thought that it was the hottest piece of whatever doo-doo that came out of the studio. And I saw the movie. Listen, I'll be honest. It's not the greatest movie. You know it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But to me, I went to see it with my sisters. It was not as bad as they were saying. 
Okay, I was like, really? Okay, it definitely has some structural problems as far as the plot, but I really felt like there were very touching moments in there. You know, like the, uh, the scene where he was in the um, where he was in the boat and he was having a flashback of uh, Zoe Kravitz, how his sister died protecting him. Like I, that got in my feelings. I was like, there were definitely moments that I liked, and I really appreciated that we had a coming of age story with a man of color with a father that loved him. Like that imagery is so rare in Hollywood, you know what I mean? So I just kind of felt like they went for the jugular. And kind of like with Focus, I saw Focus last night, it wasn't as bad as pe- – I kind of liked it. The last the, the last act, the first – I think the first act was the strongest. The second was okay. Uh-huh. The third was just a hot mess. But uh-huh. I was actually entertained by Focus. Like if I went by what people said – you know what I mean? It was beautifully shot. It definitely had a mood about it. It was very glossy. And Will Smith mm-hmm. was looking hot. Yes, <laughs> he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, you know, so I was like, it's not as bad as people are saying. So I always tell people, even me, go see a movie and make up your mind for yourself. Don't let us decide what is good or what mm-hmm. isn't good for you. You know what I mean? Because it's art. When it's art, people are always going to... Um, approach it from a subjective point of view. So you can't tell people, like I saw Jamie was like kind of arguing with this dude. Um, she said, I like Fantastic Four, and he was basically like trying to put her in a, a, in a, head, in a headlock on Twitter, like, say that you don't like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I tweeted that out that you, you can't convince me to dislike it because he wasn't the only one. There was a few people that were just right. arguing to the end to try to convince me that this was a terrible film. And I'm like, no, it wasn't a oh, bad Lord. movie. It's not that serious. Yeah, it had its problems. You know, the, I won't go into it for spoilers, but there were mm-hmm. some issues towards the end of the movie. And okay. Dr. Doom's character also, it was his character just was a little disappointing as far as his look and the way they developed it. But overall, it wasn't a terrible movie. And I will hmm. say this till the end. I, I think it was better than Ant Man. I really do. Um, wow, so we're, we're gonna tweet that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> please well, tweet that out. And I've been saying that all week. And Fox, look, the the level of expectation. Uh, so I do want to thank Fox you for. Um, uh-huh. I was gonna say we're running out of time. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll right. shut up. Yeah. So I did want to thank you for calling in and, you know, shedding some light on the dude bro angst out there and the gender dis- gin- gender discrimination going on. And uh, so we do appreciate you calling in. Dude bro <laughs> angst. I love that, Kim. I love it. Yes. <laughs> thank you, baby. Mm-hmm. Thank right. you. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye. All right, ladies, that's all of our time for today. I think we had a great show. Thank you, everyone, for yeah. listening in, and we'll chat it up with you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.